0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we introduced a brand new series, simply entitled "When." When you pray, when you give, when you serve, and the unique thing about this series is that these we're focusing on the words of Jesus Himself. What did Jesus say about prayer? What did Jesus say about about giving, what did he say about serving? Today, the theme is when you serve. Let me give you three scenarios. Here's the first one. It's a Saturday morning soccer match. Just little kids. And the game is just finished and a mother comes up to the coach and says, hey coach, I, I-, I know you've been you know, moving the role of captain around the various kids over the last few weeks, just trying out different ones. Next week, with the big carnival coming up, How about you give my boy a go, Captain? Remember last time when you tried him out, we won by a pretty good margin. He's a good boy. It would mean a lot to me. What do you think? That's why people look carefully at the role of being a coach of a a children's sporting team. (laughs) Second scenario. Here's a young hotshot in a law law firm. And uh, he comes into the uh, boss's office and he says, you know that senior position that's become available? You know what? I think I need that. I deserve that. I might not be the most experienced, I might not even be the most knowledgeable, but darn it, I've been in this company for a long time and I deserve that role. And so the boss is left with that little dilemma. Third scenario, an ageing politician is talking with some party officials and he says to them, look, I know you want me to step down so you can put a a younger candidate into the pre-selection process. I know you'd like me to do that before the next election. Look, I, I may do that. But uh, is there any chance that I could be considered for a, an ambassadorial role? Um, do we have a, an embassy in Monaco? Um, <laughs> just to mention a name. Now, look, it's not hard to see what's happening here. Like in each case, a favour. Is being sought some some special treatment. They're all requests for something to be given, possibly at the expense of somebody else who may even be more deserving. These are common scenarios, and are they're indicative of the side of our human nature that's just sort of lurking constantly below the surface. This is the way it is for most of us. The reality is, most people like to be served rather than serve. It's natural, it's a natural inclination of humankind to receive rather than to give, to be given preferential treatment above others rather than stand in the line and wait for our turn. If you've ever been involved in a a debacle at the airport where flights have been cancelled and there's limited seats on, on outgoing flights, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody goes up and everybody's got a case that's that's more important than the the next person we've all had our moments in life when this trait tends to be fairly apparent Uh, like the two brothers the two brothers we'll call them Daniel and and Declan and uh, they were fighting in the kitchen over who was going to be the first to get one of mum's mum's first pancake off the pan and that was worth fighting for because mum's pancakes were fantastic Beautiful golden brown, so a bit of fighting going on, a bit of jostling, a bit of jiving for the first pancake and it got a little bit out of control and pushing and the shoving became quite aggressive and mum couldn't take it any longer. She said, look, stop it, boys, just stop it. Settle down. Let me ask you, if Jesus was here having breakfast with us, what would he do? And the boys sort of bowed their head in mock. Embarrassment and humility, actually rolling their eyes, going, oh God, you know, what a question. Um, mum said, That's right. What would Jesus do? She said, I'll tell you what he'd do. He would say, Brother, you can have the first pancake. And with that, Declan said, Okay, Daniel, you can be Jesus. Um, it's gonna make sense. Why not? So look, guys, with these realities as a backdrop, look, it's not too much of a stretch to imagine what was happening here in this Matthew 20 passage, which is, which is one of my favourites. What do we got? We've got a pushy parent. That's the first thing. The mother of James and John. We've got two ambitious brothers, James and John themselves. And we've got a somewhat bewildered and frustrated Jesus. Whose despair becomes very apparent as the scene unfolds. Now, look, as an aside, this is very interesting when you study the scriptures. As an aside, um, Mark's version of this incident names James and John as the people pushing, as the two pushing for this special request. However, in Matthew's version, the one read to us today by Hannah, it was written after Mark, because Mark's the first gospel. uh, they, They shift the blame away from the brothers. Onto the mother. Poor old mum takes the rap for asking this embarrassing question. The names of the disciples in Matthew 20 aren't even mentioned. Just two, the mother of two disciples. Whereas in Mark, they're actually named and they're the ones who take the rap. Well, what was her request? To have her boys sit on either side of Jesus in his kingdom when it comes, either on this earth or in, in heaven. That was her Request and look, I can picture her approach. And you, you parents, you know how this went, Lord. <laughs> you, you know, my boys, you know, James and John like <laughs> they're good boys, huh? they've been with you right from the start, they've heard you in all your teachings, they've understood what you're on about, they're part of your inner circle. Like, you know, what do you say? What do you say? Can't you picture them One on one side One on the other You in the big throne in the middle Gosh That would bring joy To a mother's heart <laughs> And the ever patient Jesus Addressing his remarks to the boys Here in Matthew 20 Says You don't know what you're asking Now this is crucial That, that, that little word from Jesus That is so crucial See this is This is Jesus highlighting something here, not only missed by these two brothers, but missed by many, many people, countless millions down through the years, and missed by people even today, people who accept key leadership roles within the work of the kingdom of God. It's often so missed, missed badly. You want responsibility, you want importance, you want prestige, you want to be noticed, you want to be great. Well, you really don't know what you're asking if you think that's what it's all about in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking if you think that that's what it's all about in terms of of Christian ministry and Christian service. And then Jesus has a follow-up question. Wow, look at this. Can you drink the cup of suffering? I'm about to drink. And, And the boys don't say it, but they think, hey, wait a minute, Lord. Whoa, you, you misheard the question. <laughs> you know, like, We're asking, can we sit one on either side of you? Can we big note ourselves in front of our fellow disciples? Can we have a bit of authority, a bit of control here? Suffering, whoa, hang on, we're not asking for that. That's, that's not on the agenda. There's something very important to bear in mind here in terms of context. These guys got no excuse. There's no excuse because in terms of the context of this passage, in both Gospel accounts, both Mark and Matthew, this incident with the pushy parent and the ambitious brothers and the bewildered Jesus, this incident comes immediately after Jesus has gone to great lengths to talk about what lies ahead of Him. Here in Matthew, it's in verses 17 to 19. Listen to this as Jesus was going up to, this is straight before, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he spoke to them privately as they walked along. Listen, he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and then hand him over to the Gentiles who will make fun of him, whip him, crucify him. But three days later, He'll be raised to life. So when Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup of suffering? This wasn't some obscure, like, what's he talking about? Like, they'd heard this. They'd heard this very clearly. This wasn't the first time, by the way, that Jesus had tried to prepare his followers for his ultimate destiny. He talked about this on a number of occasions. But the, the message just wasn't getting through. As evidenced by the extraordinary reply... Given by James and John. The question, can you drink the cup of suffering I'm about to drink? (laughs) and these two guys thinking about it for a while. Mm. Yeah, we can. (laughs) Jesus would have been, what? (laughs) Did you hear the question? I can picture Jesus just kind of shaking his head in disbelief, wondering if these guys would ever get what he was on about. And then, of course, as inevitably happens when in a group, some people want preferential treatment over the others. What happens? A little bit of indignation breaks out. A little bit of discontent. Verse 24, here it is. When the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became angry with the brothers. Of course they would. These guys are big noting themselves in front of the rest, trying to get preferential treatment. And then Jesus can't take it any longer. And he comes out with a comment that's designed to shock them into understanding what he's trying to say. And it comes in verse 26, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Here it is. If one of you wants to be great, you must be the servant of the rest. And friends, in this definitive, timeless statement, Jesus expresses a truth which, although paradoxical, In its nature, it nails the very heart of true fulfilment and contentment in life. And that is, it's in giving, not receiving. It's in serving, not being served, that we find life. It's a paradox. But that's the truth at the heart of the Gospel. But you know what I love about this statement? And it really hit me this week in a fresh way. That's the way the Bible comes alive if you look at it. And read it expectantly. Something hit me in a new way this week. Jesus acknowledges the desire of some people to be great. If anyone would be great. He, he acknowledges that some people have a desire to be great. They have a desire to make an impact on the world, to move and motivate and influence people. He doesn't say don't ever want to be great. He says if any of you wants to be great, that's okay. It's just a question of how you go about that. It's a question of what you regard as greatness. I find that very, very helpful. Now, friends, as one who's been a, a leader in, in a service-based organisation for all my adult life, I've made a study of, what, of the effect that service has on people, the ways in which, in which service in the work of Christ enables people to aspire to greatness. I've made a lot of observations over the years. And here are some of them I want to share with you this morning. When we serve, firstly, we're acknowledging the fact God has gifted us. You can either hold it all in or you can start serving. And in that action of serving, whatever it is, whether it's up front or behind the scenes, you're acknowledging that God has gifted you. In that sense, service is a form of worship. It's, it's part of our submission, part of our commitment to Jesus Christ. What, what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 12, 1? We, we know this passage so well. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to what? His service. And pleasing Him. This is the true worship you should offer offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. So it's worship through our acknowledgement, through our gratitude to God for the gifts that He's given us. That's a, a form of worship. And so I've always liked the old saying. You know, I came across this years ago. What we have, who we are, that's God's gift to us. What we do with what we have and who we are, that's our gift to Him. That's a truism that will take you right through life and, and be a liberating thing as you serve the Lord. Here's something else. When we serve, we're honouring and affirming others. Now that's always an integral part of service, isn't it? When you're trying to form and maintain a sense of community, this point is absolutely crucial it's vital within the body of Christ I like the very egalitarian approach we have in churches of Christ when it comes to leadership I guess in a modern context you'd call our style of leadership flat line management you know I mean in theological terms we call it the priesthood of all believers it's very important to our movement it's where everyone has a service obligation to each other Everyone in that sense is at the same level. Nobody has the right to lord it over anybody else. That's not the way we operate. Not in this church, not in this movement. It's all based on spiritual giftedness and differences in roles. And I really like that because such an approach strengthens and enhances the opportunity to honour and affirm each other rather than a situation where some are elevated and some are downtrodden. That's not going to work in the body of Christ. Well, the third thing to be said about the link between service and greatness, when we serve, we're strengthening our sense of self-worth. Now, that must never be the motivation for service. Oh, look at what I'm doing in service. Boy, aren't I great. Wow, I feel so terrific because I'm doing so much better than everybody else. No, never. That should never be the motivation for service, but... An increased sense of self-worth is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of service. When you realise, wow, people are depending on me. I'm proving I've got something to give. If 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 the communion's not out, that's that's my responsibility. I've got. in that sense, I'm an important part of the total. Process here. If that person doesn't get a call, like I promised I would give a a call of how you're going, then then somebody misses. In that sense, there's people depending on me. I'm giving something back. I've got something of worth and of value to give. President Jimmy Carter, the 39th president of America, he was the president between 1977 and 1981, just one term. Uh, I mean, could you get a role in the world where you are served? more extravagantly than the President of the United States. I mean, everybody opens doors for you, salutes you, passes you things. I mean, the only privacy you would have would probably be in in your own bathroom. Uh, And even that, probably got cameras or security guards. I I, I mean, it's a total, you are being served day and night as the President of the United States, the so-called most powerful man in the world. Well, President Carter had four years at that And then he left the presidency and as a man of God, uh, a Bible study leader in his church in Georgia for decades, as a man of God, he embarked on a different career path. He became a a peacemaker working with uh, top government officials around the world. But from a Christian perspective, he joined a group called Habitat for Humanity. And according to my information, for years, probably even up to recent years, when now he's quite an elderly man, for years, every year, he would go to some remote part of the world, not with a camera crew and not with press, just to go and roll his sleeves up and build houses for desperately poor people. And as you read snippets of his story over the years, he says he has never been so fulfilled, never been so happy as he is now, in brackets, my words, as a servant rather than as someone who was extravagantly served. Reinforcing the paradoxical truth that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Feeling of value. I'm giving something that I can give. I can make a difference. That's better than holding it all in and this is mine. It's not yours. That's not the way. And there's so much evidence of that. Here's the final thing, friends. In serving, when we serve, we're identifying with Jesus, the ultimate example of servanthood, of course. The servant par excellence. Paul's amazing life of service eventually found him in a a Roman jail. And it's it's the spot where we believe he wrote the book of Philippians. So what do we find in the book of Philippians? We find a guy who's jaded, cynical, bitter, fancy, a life of service. and Look where I end up, in a, in a Roman prison. What's that all about? No, no, no. We don't find that. Of course we don't. Listen to verse 20 of the first chapter. This is in prison. My deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty, but at all times and especially right now, in prison, right now, I shall be full of courage so that with my whole being I shall bring honour to Christ whether I live or whether I die. Just want to keep serving. Have the courage to keep pressing on doing his will. Friends, as James and John and their pushy mother found out service in the kingdom is not about thrones. It's not about positions of power and prestige. It's not about privilege. It's about walking in his steps. It's about going where he has gone. It's about doing what he has done. You know, one of the things that um, is a feature of of our church here at Northside is a culture of service, which is not fully developed yet, by the way, but it's moving forward. Because on the ministry team, we've tried to model that. And we continue to try to model it. A culture of service where it's an honour to serve. It's not something we do begrudgingly. It's an honour to serve. And friends, if you haven't caught that yet, so many have here. Can I urge you to really pray into that, that you will catch something of the joy and the beauty and the, and the blessing of service in the name of Christ. It's a culture of service. It will continue to, to be part of this church, I believe, and it will continue to, to distinguish us in the best sense of that term. Distinguish us, identify us as something very special as people feel as though they are, they're being served and all the things we've said in bringing honour and affirming each other. And, building self-esteem and so on. Who's the ultimate example of service? Well, of course, it's our Lord Jesus Christ because he uses this passage, Matthew 28, in a beautiful rounding off of the whole thing. In verse 28, this this is what he says. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to redeem people. We love because he loved first. We serve because he has not only served, but continues to serve us in our daily walk with Him. Friends, are you feeling that today? Is it time you stepped up into service? We make lots of pleas around here. You, you know you've got gifts. You know you can do it. The more we spread this, the, the tasks, the, the greater the strength to move forward into new areas of ministry. Look, when, it all, when it's all said and done, this is how it works for service. We are not what we do. Rather, sorry, we are what we do. We are what we do, not what we say we'll do. Amen. We are what we do, not what we say we'll do. Let's bow and pray, shall we?